0: Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 398. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rexhaw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, hi. We're recording this a little bit late. Had a power go out over here, which kind of sucked. But it's back now, so just a little bit of a delay. I hope to get this out in, at a reasonable time. This should be dropping on Tuesday, and then uh, Ryan watches movies coming out. This week too oh did another one of those two two weeks in a row with that so we seem to be starting off starting off good very excited for that uh this week on the show we'll be talking about willie's wonderland this is the new horror film with nicholas cage we'll also be going over someone watching on the watch listing and, and going over This week's VOD and Blu-ray releases. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be extremely helpful. We're going to be recording the new Saved by the 90s next week. So that should be coming out the following week. Stay tuned to the the social media for announcements on that. We're going to be doing uh, romantic comedies for Valentine's Day this month i mean uh i'm just i was never a big romantic comedy guy especially 90s romantic comedies i I think that they're like just the absolute worst so uh i think that maybe this will generate well see here's the thing though the the lineup that we have they're not strictly romantic comedies so this is what has me a little bit excited about it they're not your typical rom-coms they're like They're like rom-com adjacent. They're movies that do feature a love story, but may not be considered a romantic comedy in the strictest sense. So uh, for instance, uh, I'll divulge one of the titles. We're going to be talking about Groundhog Day. Okay. You know, so that is sort of a romantic comedy, but it's definitely not what you would think of like My Best Friend's Wedding or, you know, one of those. Yeah. More defined romantic comedies. So, at any rate, uh, that that should be coming out soon, and I'm very excited to record that. Let's talk about Willy's Wonderland. This is directed by Kevin Lewis. I have a synopsis here. When his car breaks down, a quiet loner agrees to clean an abandoned family fun center in exchange for repairs. He soon finds himself waging war against possessed animatronic mascots while trapped inside Willy's Wonderland. I swear to God, at some point this movie was called Wally's Wonderland. That's what I want to keep calling it. I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain at some point it was called Wally's Wonderland. Yes, it was, also known as Wally's Wonderland. Hmm. Wonder what so, happened there. Yeah, that, See, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I when because I knew that at some point it was called Wally's Wonderland. So, like. During the movie, especially like at the beginning when they would show the sign and talk about it, like I was trying to hear, I was listening very closely and looking very closely to see if they like ADR the name or anything. Mm-hmm. But they they didn't, at least not that I could tell. Like they always said Willie, as far hmm. as I could tell. So I'm not exactly sure what happened with this with the name, but. At any rate, this movie is... It's essentially a rip-off of Five Nights at Freddy's. Are you, are you familiar with Five Nights at Freddy's? No. Okay. So, I'm... Five Nights at Freddy's is uh, an extremely popular video game series. It went viral uh, a long time ago now. And I believe that they made like four or five entries in the series since then. And the premise of the series is very very similar to what happens in this movie where you have in the game, you play a a security guard who has to work the overnight shift at a, you know, Chuck E cheese style place and the animatronic characters come to life and attack you. There's a lot, there's actually more similarities to it than that too. Um, Like just the, the sort of backstory that happens with this is similar Like it's almost so similar that I'm kind of surprised that they haven't been sued over this because it is because they are working on a Five Nights at Freddy's movie as well, and it it's just uh, the similarities are so blatant that I'm it's almost infringing on I think probably some copyrights or something. But that's
1: that's nuts.
0: Yeah, it's the exact same. I mean, it's it's very strange. Like even the, even the characters look like some of the Five Nights at Freddy's characters. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> really really weird that they were able to get away. I guess they tweaked it enough that they couldn't get sued over it, but I don't know. Yeah,
1: but it's still like it changes the way that I think about this movie now.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, I mean it's very egregious. But the thing is, like the Five Nights at Freddy's. It's a very simple game. Um, it's like um, Night Trap, if you remember the, the, the game Night Trap, where you have to look at security cameras. So you're in, a, you're in a stationary position, and you have to look at all the security cameras and sort of watch and make sure that the animatronic characters don't come after you. And if they, like, come to, like, the side door, for instance, you have to hit, hit a button to close the side door to prevent them from coming in. But the thing is, like when you close the door, it takes up uh, power, and you only have a limited amount of power. So you can't just keep the doors closed. Uh, it's a very tense game, and there's tons of jump scares in it. It's, it's like really, really jump scare heavy um which is sadly something that I didn't think that this movie had a lot of. I didn't think that this movie was scary at all. I was kind of hoping that, well, that
1: that's why I thought it was funny when you're like Five Nights at Freddy's is a really simple game and I'm like yeah, this movie was really simple too.
0: It was. It was <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's actually sounds a little bit more complicated. Well, especially because with Five Nights at Freddy's the the lore like the lore ends up becoming very a lot more complex. Like there were all these kind of secrets and hidden things and Easter eggs and little breadcrumbs that the, the, the designer put in that expanded the, the story and stuff like that. And and now there's like this big, really kind of dark uh, story behind it. But with this movie, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty simple when, when it comes down to it, like there's, there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of um, complexity here, but I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think that there's enough here to to keep it uh, at least keep the backstory entertaining. Unfortunately, I didn't find a lot else to be entertained by with this with this movie. I guess maybe the the big issue I had with it, or one of the big issues I had with it is I thought it was ugly. Like I just thought the whole movie was so ugly that I could barely stand looking at it because it was so horrible looking. It looked like a sci-fi channel original movie to me. Yeah. It
1: does look like it was shot for TV.
0: The, The quality is so poor. The lighting is maybe the worst lighting I've ever, I've not ever seen, but the worst lighting I've seen this year so far, certainly the, I just, I hated it. I hated all the lighting, the lens flares and the, like it was so strangely lit me and, I, and I'm not sure why they did it like that but it just looks so bad uh, everything in this movie I think it looks so awful and low quality yeah yeah
1: I, I definitely agree with you with that it is a it's an ugly it's an ugly looking film
0: yeah so you have so you have Nicholas Cage in here as the synopsis says this drifter we don't really know too much about him we know that he likes to pound these I guess it's beer. Is it beer? No, it's punch pop. It's like okay, a, it's so like it's like an, an energy, energy drink. drink. He's I, hes yeah, going nuts I, no, with them. I didn't really know if it was ball ball like ball an energy drink or what, but yeah. So you have this like this drifter loves loves pounding this energy drink, and he runs over some like uh, what do you call it? Like the spikes, the road spikes, or whatever. Yeah, Spike yeah. Strip, Spike Strip. I think that's what I was looking for. And so you know that there's something weird going on right, right then and there. It's in this small town, and they're like, hey, you know, we don't take any credit cards or anything. Got no internet here. And if you want to you know, make the money to repair your car, you can clean up this, this restaurant or whatever. And he, he agrees to do it. The big thing to mention about this is that uh, Nicolas Cage has no dialogue in this movie. Yes. He's completely silent, which I think is a, I think is a little bit of a wasted opportunity. I mean, I feel like yeah. if you, if you get, I, Ca- if you I, get cage, you know,
1: I just, there's so many, I, cause I don't know how many times throughout this movie. I was just like, I, I want to hear him reacting. I would like to hear what he has to say. And I want to, there's a part of me that thinks that this, that was like a stipulation on his part. He's like, I'll make your silly movie, but I have absolutely no lines.
0: I'm actually wondering that myself. I actually did think about that while I was watching it. Like, was it always a silent character or was it like cheaper? (laughs) Did he like not charge as much? Was his rate not as much because he didn't have any lines? No. Uh,
1: If it's age, the the rate stayed the same. He just stipulated (laughs) He's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing any dialogue. And they're like, Nick, we got pages of dialogue here. And he's like, We'll cut it down to zero. I'll
0: clear my throat. That's about it. Yeah, he does some like screaming and stuff a little bit, but and not not only that, but he's like almost completely emotionless the, the whole time too. Like, there's just no. He's a, he's a very robotic character in this. Yeah,
1: which is what I I really enjoyed about. The movie is just like from the outset, like right off the bat, he knows that something's up and he doesn't really, he doesn't respond, you know, the way that everyone hopes he would. He's just kind of like, oh, okay. That's what I thought this was. Like he's like, he's done this before. It seems like. It's yeah. It's like, oh, shit. another one of these deals. So here we go.
0: Yeah. Like when he first. So when the, when the animatronic creatures first attack him, he, he just does not look surprised at all. Yeah. He, he, he's just like, all right, well, I guess I'll have to kill this thing. And, and I mean, that's, that's sort of the running gag in this. It's like he'll be in the middle of a fight or whatever, and then his little watch alarm will go off indicating that it's break time, and he'll just stop fighting... And go into the kitchen and play pinball and drink his energy drink. And then when his <laughs> breaks over, he'll go back and kill, kill the thing. Which, I, I mean, Which,
1: I, I enjoyed that. I really liked it, but I think that that's the one aspect of it that's missing. That the one facet that could have you know, elevated this a little bit more is to have him have some actual dialogue. I mean, can you
0: imagine? The one-liners. The quips. Exactly. There's there so many opportunities here, and I and I think that that's the big thing with this movie is that there, it's just for me, it was just nonstop squandered opportunity. Like I think that there, this movie has a lot going for it. I think the premise, even even if it's like completely biting off of Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, they didn't release the Five Nights at Freddy's movie yet, so hey, why not? <laughs> why not capitalize on it? You know, like. It doesn't. I don't. I don't really care if it's ripping off of that video game or not. Like, if if the story's good and compelling, then hey, I'm I'm all for it. And I I like the idea of like the sort of Chuck E. Cheese creatures, you know, getting sentience and deciding to kill everyone and all of that. Like, I think that that's a fun idea. And I even I like even more the idea of Nicolas Cage coming in as this fucking drifter badass who doesn't give two shits about what's going on around him and just destroys these creatures over and over and over again. I like that. Yeah. But I think that there were just so many things that brought this down for me. Like, uh, I didn't like the look of any of the creatures for the most part. I, again, hated the overall aesthetic of the movie. The lighting was awful. The camera quality and the camera work was bad. There's just so many things going against it for me. So I feel like every time there was a cool concept introduced, there were like three other things that completely brought it down for me.
1: Yeah. I do appreciate how simple this movie is though. Yeah. And I found that. I found that refreshing. And I think that's kind of like you where if it feels like even more of a missed opportunity because you kept it really simple you know that it's silly and you lean into the silliness factor. You probably could have leaned into it a little bit more, honestly.
0: Yeah. I, I found a lot of it to be pretty dull, frankly, like the, like the fight scenes were not eh, very entertaining to me.
1: I, the thing that got me and where it lost me a little bit is when like the, I don't know if they're like teenagers or whatever, they show up to like help them out.
0: Yeah, so you have to have I
1: understand like, it that that was like an excuse to have some more bodies. Right.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say you have to up the body count at some point. It can't just be Nicolas Cage. Murdering. But I think it could but, but it could be. That's the th- yeah, that's, that's the thing like it absolutely like could be.
1: I don't think you're trusting in Nick Cage enough. I think that's the problem. Is that you didn't trust Nick Cage enough. You didn't put your faith in Nick Cage. And I hate de- Yeah, and I hate doing
0: I hate doing this, but I feel like I just need to talk about what I think they should have done with this movie. And I think that if they got rid of all of the the teens, the, and I guess they're like tw- they're in their twenties, they're like twenty somethings. So like the whole premise of this is that like periodically the townspeople will find someone who won't be missed, and they sacrifice that person. Or, or people to Willie and his animatronic friends. And the, this group of uh, youngsters in the town, they get sick of this happening. So they're like, hey, you know what? We're going we're gonna to stop this. We're going to burn down the, the building and kill all these animatronic things. But of course, like we talked about previously, they're just, they're cannon fodder. They're just introduced yeah. so that we could see more people to get killed. But yeah. what I'm thinking is you have a movie where it is literally just Nicolas Cage versus a a group of sentient animatronic, you know, children's pizza place mascots mm-hmm. or whatever. Yes. And that's your movie. Like that's all you need. You don't need to introduce the other people. Like it, because some of the worst scenes in the movie are involving those those 20 something year olds. Like the sex scene when the yeah. randomly two of them decide to have sex in in the, the the restaurant for no reason whatsoever, even though they know like the the the, the thing is like they know that there are Animatronic creatures roaming around murdering people. Yes. They know that going into it. So it's not like a surprise to them. And yet they still decide to have sex in one of these rooms. Like they're not well, going to get killed.
1: Well, I think that's another thing, too, entirely. Is like if you're going to have these 20 somethings be, you know, a part of this story where. Do you really need one of them to be this, like, cartoonish nymphomaniac that just seemed really, like, sleazy?
0: She uh, she also didn't have any lines for quite a while, and I thought that they were going to make her completely silent, too, uh, because she's introduced, and she's in, like, three or four scenes before she even says anything. Yeah. Which I thought was a little weird. But I'm just saying, like you you could have so many good opportunities where it's like Nicolas Cage trying to clean up and that's where the comedy is too right? Because he has these yeah. little breaks but the whole time he's also still trying to do his job. So like these things are attacking him. He's killing them and then he's like cleaning up you know cups and plates and stuff around the, the restaurant. So he's still like mopping the floors and stuff while all this is going on and I think that that's enough right there. Like you could set up some like fun set pieces where like, you know, they're, they're attacking him in a variety of different ways or they ambush him or whatever. And then it's like just him tr- trying to fend them off while also doing his job of being a janitor. That's yeah. your movie. That's it. Yeah,
1: That's what I think. The, the First off, you you honestly don't really have to go that far. I mean, you can just, the aesthetic of it could just be better. <laughs> and that would do a lot. <laughs> that would do a lot to help this out. But second, and again, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to get into like how, or like what you were saying is like talking about what the movie should have done instead of what it did do, but just like not to have Nick Cage, not have emotion, just, that's just kind of a bummer. I mean, he still, he still gets some classic cage with him playing the pinball, which was great. I did enjoy that. Because I was really hoping that that would, because he keeps coming back to it on his breaks and playing that pinball, you know, cleaning that pinball machine and then playing it and getting into it. And I'm like, if I don't have, if this doesn't pay off in some way, I'm going to be really disappointed. And it does. So I was happy for that. Yeah. His little, his little dance routine it was
0: fantastic, but I just, I needed more. I needed more of that. Yeah. Especially because to me, like the everything else was not very good either, like the effects work and stuff. I mean, the animatronic creatures themselves were mostly just people with like kind of uh, animatronic uh, um, like face coverings, like masks on. So it, yeah. it was pretty much just like a person in a suit, and then the the mask part, the head part would be you know, robotic to essentially like mostly just the mouth and eyes. And then you had some like CG in there too that didn't look great. Yeah, The kills were not very fun either. Like I didn't think that they were that impressive. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. Overall, I just, it was a pretty big disappointment for me. And I'm I'm really wondering like what they're going to do with Five Nights at Freddy's now that this movie is out. If it's I mean, maybe it doesn't even bother them at all. Maybe they just don't give a shit.
1: Well, they're probably disappointed because they probably don't have
0: Nick. But the best part of this would be if they do have Nicolas Cage. That would be funny. I would love that. I don't think that any casting announcements have been made, although I know and he doesn't that,
1: tell them about the other movie.
0: I know that uh, Chris Columbus is directing it, so you have a pretty big director. In there, That movie's gonna suck. It probably will. Yeah, I mean, this is. I'm not a fan of Chris Columbus's stuff, except Home Alone, maybe. Yeah, he doesn't like Home Alone.
1: But again, you don't have Nick Cage, so maybe. Point? <laughs> maybe. I would. I, I would love that. That would be. That would just be an incredible development.
0: I mean. They, they could easily do it and just have him instead of being the janitor, be a security guard, and that's it. <laughs>
1: but still, he, he has his energy drinks. Doesn't talk much.
0: Well, hopefully, he talks more. Yeah, just like one liners. Like I'd only need really just one liners from him. Plus, I just you know a little bit of outrage
1: from you know he just cleaned the entire bathroom.
0: Yeah, like I, come He's been a
1: come on, lot of work. And then he had to curb stomp
0: that gorilla mm. on the
1: urinal, you know?
0: Yep. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and give this thing a score. <sighs> Willy's Wonderland, man. I don't know. I'm going to I'm give it like a two. It's a two for me.
1: Yeah, it's tough because I was having a lot of fun with this until the, the 20-somethings showed up. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'll probably trying to think yeah like a two two and a half maybe I do like when the, the ostrich first comes up to him yeah and he's not surprised at all and he just does the push
0: <laughs> yeah I mean there there are definitely some moments I mean this, this movie absolutely has its moments and I think that it started off really intriguing too oh, like, it starts like, off
1: really strong yeah
0: I, I think it has a really great opening but it, for me like it just fell apart as soon as I don't know as soon as, as soon as they started fighting and stuff it, it kind of just fell apart for me and I didn't like how the animatronics would like talk to them and try to like convince them to do stuff and like, like they all had like kind of personalities and they would uh, they, they were just like so vulgar and I think that it would be more scary if they didn't talk and they just like you know crept around and, and jumped out at you or whatever Like, I didn't need them to be so sassy. That's Willy's Wonderland, and that's available on VOD. All right, let's talk about some watching. Oh, boy. I got a lot of stuff this week, so I'm going to try to keep everything very brief and concise. I saw Malcolm and Marie. This is on Netflix. This is the uh, one directed by Sam Levinson, the guy who did um, Euphoria. This is the one with Zendaya and John David Washington. I cannot recommend this movie in the slightest bit. It is gorgeous, shot in beautiful black and white. But the entire movie is involves a couple uh, who are returning home from a movie premiere. Uh, John David Washington's character plays a director, and he just had his first big movie premiere, and it was a, it was a rousing success. But the whole movie is just the two of these people arguing for uh, over an hour and over an hour and a half. Actually, it's just nonstop arguing and yelling, screaming at each other for 90 plus minutes. Uh, I, I found it to be completely insufferable. Like I just couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand any a, a, at all. This movie. This is. It's too much. Too much. Yeah.
1: No, this, uh, this sounds like the absolute worst thing i want i got to watch one of my most anticipated titles of this year and that's beginning from director diakulambegashvili there you go that's wrong but whatever saying it right all goddamn day but there wasn't a mic to pick it up at any (laughs) point in time uh the movie ended up putting this out so i got to watch it on movie uh, this is a, a pretty assured feature debut. I mean, she's done a couple of short films before this, but this is her first uh, feature length. The cinematography from Arseni Kachaturn is incredible. I mean, the way that they get like the Georgian countryside and everything, it's just like the landscapes, the lighting, the natural lighting, it's just incredible. Lots of long takes. Um But the interesting thing here is there's some long takes, but with some unexpected developments. Like the opening to the scene, um, and just to give you a little bit of the the story here, it's like a a Jehovah's Witness community. They're attacked by an extremist group. So the opening scene is just the camera set up in the middle of the church. Uh, She comes in, the, the main character comes in, she's reprimanding some kids. She's talking to her husband, you know, before everything gets started up. All the parishioners come in. They're coming in from two sets of doors. They're coming in, you know, pleasantries, all that, sitting down. This is all in one take. And then her husband, like, kind of starts his sermon or whatever, his little class. And all this is happening for, you know, about 10 minutes or so. And then out of nowhere, the the side doors that you can't see that are outside of frame open up and Molotov cocktails are thrown in while everyone's stuck inside. And then, like, it just, it's like real and fire, it looks like. And they're just like trying to pant, you know, they're panicking, trying to get out and everything. They're lifting up benches, trying to break windows. And like, that's the opening scene. And like the Molotov cocktail thing, I was not prepared for it. You know, it's just kind of this long kind of pretty dull scene, you know, to set this movie up. And then just out of nowhere, bam, you know, you have the church burning down. So it kind of sets things off. So, uh, pretty, uh, pretty great, and definitely very excited to see what she does moving forward. I mean, the storyline here is was a little iffy for me, but everything else, you know, in terms of craft, was uh, pretty top notch.
0: All right, that is. Uh... Beginning, which is on movie right now, so if you have a movie subscription, you could check that out. I saw the trial of the Chicago Seven. this is on Netflix. This is the one directed by Aaron Sorkin. I wasn't really interested in this, but the other day I was just kind of bored, and I was like, you know what uh, let me just let me just pop this on give this a look, see what the fuss is all about it's uh It's not very good. I think that you would probably really hate it. I <laughs> thought it was. Mediocre at best. Uh, if you're not familiar this, it tells the true story of the um, 1980, uh, 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. There was a, a violent confrontation between protesters and the police there. And you had uh, some people who were charged with inciting the riot as sort of a scapegoat and people, including Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, uh, Tom Hayden and Bobby seal. And, uh, the movie largely takes place during the trial, but there'll be like flashbacks to several things that happened that led up to the, uh, the clash and it's, it's fine. I mean, it's, most people under, like know what they're getting into when it comes to Aaron Sorkin and like that's what you get here you get a very very sorkin screenplay and that includes uh many moments of eye rolling that will occur as people do their little monologues and you're just like come on like let's just <laughs> let's let's just get over get over ourselves here and the ending, the end, almost dismantles the whole movie because the end is so bad that, that I just couldn't help but laugh. I was laughing at how ridiculous the ending is. <laughs> so. Yes. I, I can't really recommend it. I think that it is a really good story, and I think that it is a story that everyone should be aware of. Um, but, yeah, this movie's just, it's not... It's not as good as uh, a lot of these like top lists might lead you to believe.
1: The only other movie that I watched because I'm busy, you know, as you know, rewatching the X Files, but I've also started rewatching uh, Perfect Strangers. Oddly enough,
0: Perfect been,
1: Strangers <laughs> it has been quite fun. Wow. Uh, yeah.
0: What is that? What is that? Is that on like Hulu or something?
1: Yeah, it's on Hulu. Man. (laughs) Oh, boy. Balky. Oh, my God. It's something else. Absolutely incredible. Uh, I only mention that because as as silly as it sounds that I'm rewatching Perfect Strangers with Balky Bartok Moose, uh, it's far more enjoyable than the movie that I watched, which was Radio Flash, which is also available on Hulu. So if you find yourself on Hulu, on one hand thinking maybe I should watch Radio Flash, or on the other hand thinking, should I rewatch or maybe watch for the first time Perfect Strangers, I'm here to say go the Perfect Strangers route. It's far more rewarding. Uh Radio Flash is there's a electromagnetic pulse, an EMP cuts off all the power, all the water. Communication, everything, just down. And a father and daughter, uh, Dominic Monaghan and Brighton Charboni or Brighton Sharbino or the, the father-daughter, they they realize, like, okay, we got to get to Grandpa's house, played by Will Patton. He's out in the woods. You know, he's living off the land. He's got everything they need to, to ride this out, whatever it is. We don't know what it is. So this is essentially like a doomsday prepper wet dream of a film. And it's decent enough when it's operating in that avenue because like the father and daughter, they kind of know what they're doing. They're, they're kind of competent, but they also kind of make some mistakes here and there. But for the most part, it's kind of grounded in reality. Um, But the issue that I have with this movie, which was not in the trailer, which is just really pisses me off is that it veers completely off course, like halfway through. And this isn't, like, played as, like, a twist or anything, uh, where she gets trapped with these, like, backwoods family. And they're, like, cartoonish. Like, he's wearing, like, nothing but pelts, and he hasn't shaved in forever. And, like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's, like, a cross between Deliverance and, like, the family from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre but there's no violence they just like they just want her to live there now and it operates in that avenue for a good chunk of the movie like it just stops being this like apocalyptic survival movie and just ends up there and just stays there really until the very very end and it's just absolutely baffling cuz there's no mention of it whatsoever in the trailer Hmm. so it just comes out of nowhere and you're like what what are we doing now
0: well all right i never even heard of this movie before this just came out not too long ago apparently and uh it says 2019 on letterboxd but i literally never even heard of it
1: i had never heard of it either until i forget what movie we're watching some dvd and there was a trailer for this you know beforehand and i was like oh that It looks decent enough, and it's like really up my wife's alley. So I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll check it out."
0: Hmm. All right, Uh, that's Radio Flash on Hulu. Sticking with the sci-fi theme, I saw a movie called Bliss. This is directed by Mike Cahill. This is the one that's on Amazon Prime right now. It's with Owen Wilson and Selma Hayek, and it's a another kind of it's a like a futuristic sci-fi movie. Uh, It is, oddly enough, we were just talking about this, what was it, last week, um, with the simulation theory thing. That's what this movie plays with, the idea that Owen Wilson is this guy who, he gets fired and he has a, he's like an architect, he's going through a divorce, like his whole life is falling apart, basically, and then he ends up meeting Selma Hayek in this bar and she reveals to him that he is one of the few real life people and they the two of them are living in a simulation and she is this scientist who created the simulation and she sort of opens his mind up to the idea that the world that he knows is actually just a simulation and she sort of teaches him about like How to manipulate it and stuff like that Very Matrix-esque And then they at one point Pull themselves out of the simulation And he sees what the world is Like the real quote-unquote real world But guess what, Kevin This is all big Uh, metaphor It is all a big metaphor You know what that big metaphor is? What's that? Addiction It's all a metaphor for addiction And (laughs) uh it does not work at all it is uh Ah. i just couldn't stand it couldn't stand anything about this movie (laughs) it just i hated every moment of it. like it starts off okay like when well first of all i didn't like the way that it looked at all so like anytime that they're in one of the realities everything is done in this uh really shaky handheld camera work and um everything is very colorless. Every, everybody looks very weathered and dirty and it's just a very harsh reality. And then when they wake up and they're in the, the quote unquote real world, um, everything is like a lot smoother and you have steady cams and everything's bright and, and really nice and fancy. But, but it turns out like, Oh no, that's, that's not the real world. That's your fucking dr- drug drug. Drug-addled mind, and uh, yeah, I just I did not enjoy myself whatsoever. Um, Mike Cahill, this is the guy who did Eye Origins and Another Earth.
1: Yeah, which I didn't know until just recently. Yeah, and that totally makes sense because Eye Origins is just hilarious.
0: I liked Eye Origins that, for the most part. Garbage. I, I gave it a two and, and a half watched. on Letterboxd. So I, I didn't hate that I, movie. I check. Okay. I gave it one and a half. Yeah. Stars. You gave it a one and a half.
1: <laughs> check. It'll be three and a half.
0: <laughs> no, I remember you didn't like that. And I remember not, I, I remember thinking it was okay. But this movie, I did not like at all. So, uh, bliss, I just cannot recommend. It's, it's interesting to see Owen Wilson. You don't see him in, uh, in too many dramatic roles. So this is Owen Wilson in a dramatic role. I mean, I will say that, that, The two leads, Selma Hayek and Owen Wilson, they both did a a great job, uh, especially Selma Hayek, because she plays sort of almost a dual role of sorts, but it still wasn't enough to save the movie. Uh, I saw Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Uh, Yes. You have to see this movie, Kevin. This is a must-see for you. This is directed by uh, Josh Greenbaum. Where can you see this? Uh, You can rent... You can rent it. It's like one of these virtual theatrical ones. So you can rent it on like Amazon or whatever. It is a premium rental, so it's $20. But, you know, I would have seen this in the theater anyway. So for me, that's not a big deal. And, you know, I saw with my wife too. So that'd be the equivalent of paying $10 a movie ticket. So I'm fine with that. Anyway, if you're not familiar, this is the one with Kristen Wiig and Annie uh, Momolo. Uh, it, it's so, I don't, I don't even know how to describe this movie. It's, um, it's a comedy about these two middle aged women who decide they get fired. They they work at like a, a furniture store, like an Ashley furniture type place. And they really love it, but it turns out that the store is closing. So they lose their jobs and they decide, you know what? Like we're living in a rut. Let's just, let's just throw caution to the wind, go crazy. And they decide to go to, Vista Del Mar, Florida and have a, a vacation and, you know, a lot of hijinks ensue and it's uh, this movie will absolutely be a cult classic Like it, there's no way that this movie will not become a cult classic. It is way too out there it's a lot more absurd than you might think uh, this is a Gary Sanchez production and you know a lot of those the will ferrell adam mckay movies are they don't really go too off the rails you know like i mm-hmm. I, I would i would uh, compare this more closely to something like uh, a lonely island style movie like mcgruber or something where there are so many just non sequiturs and just random like talking crabs and like just outlandish things that happen in, in this movie, like that are completely out of the realm of, of the real world. Um, that I think that, that it, it guarantees it almost a cult following. Uh, I had a blast with it. It's really funny. Kristen Wig and Annie Momolo are, are really funny in it. Jamie Dornan is in it as well. And he's, he's ridiculous and uh, extremely funny too. So I definitely recommend Barb and Stark go to Vista Del Mar. I, I just sort of needed a comedy like this in my life and uh, it came at just the right time. Yes. It's ridiculous and stupid and fun. Exactly what I want. Yeah. Exactly what I want to hear. Uh, I uh, signed up for the arrow streaming service this week. So I've been kind of exploring that and watching a bunch of stuff on that. They have a lot of classics on there um, and huge collection of Giallo on there too, by the way. But uh, they do have some contemporary releases on there that are sort of like exclusive. So I I wanted to check some of those out. Then one of them was called the bloodhound. Uh, This came out just recently. It's directed by Patrick Picard. It's sort of a modern retelling of the Shakespeare, um, Shakespeare story of uh, the fall of the house of Usher and it's a very sort of subdued lo-fi horror like suspense thriller about uh, this this guy who goes to visit his wealthy friend who in his home and uh, sort of tensions just gradually rise and shit gets kind of weird um, I've seen people compare this to a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, and I could definitely kind of see that. It's a little bit more subdued than that. But uh, I think the big takeaway from this was the the house, like the where this takes place. I freaking loved the house that this uh, took place in. I think you would probably like the house a lot too. But... Really surprising. Uh, I enjoyed it for the most part. I would give it a light, very light recommend. If you're if you're in the mood for something that's that's very slow burn. I mean, like, almost no burn. It's mostly just conversations between two characters. But uh, I still found it very intriguing for whatever reason. So that's The Bloodhound. So I saw Red Post on Escher Street. This is the new and Sono movie. This is a uh, screening as part of this uh, the Japan Society is doing this 21st Century Japan program uh, and they're streaming a whole bunch of really great Japanese films right now that, that you can sign up for and this is one of them this was uh, I believe a premiere world, world premiere I'm not sure if it's world premiere or not but certainly this is the first time it's being screened in the US uh, this is I would say one of Sono's certainly one of his more mainstream uh, films. It's not a horror movie or an action movie or anything like that. This is just a straight-up comedy, um, more of like a dramatic comedy. It's quite long. It's over two hours long, and uh, it's sort of... It, I would say that it's sort of like Sono's Eight and a Half. And I know that, like, Sono likes to... He, he's made multiple movies about the the act of making movies. And, and if you're familiar with Sono, he's a guy who like literally worked himself almost to death. He had a massive heart attack um, in, in 2019 and he did die for a minute. He was pronounced dead for a minute before he snapped back into the mortal realm and started making movies again right away. In fact, he, So he did Prisoners of the Ghost Land, which is another movie of his that's coming out this year. And he started working on that right after he got out of the hospital. And he couldn't travel because of the massive heart attack. So they ended up having to shoot that movie in Japan. They were going to shoot it in the U.S. But it was, uh, I believe, Nicolas Cage who suggested that they shoot it in Japan. So... Anyway, uh, Red Post on Esher Street is about a, this, this like up-and-coming filmmaker, super popular. Everybody loves him. He's working on his next project, and he, is, he wants an all-amateur cast. So he does the uh, casting call, and he does auditions. And basically, the movie just follows the lives of all of the various people who audition to be in this movie. And sort of what happens when they get rejected and like a lot of the, like a lot of them get rejected and then become extras on the movie. And then there's this sort of uprising, like the extras start to revolt and it's all just a, you know, very fun sort of tongue in cheek criticism of, of the industry. And I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> Highly recommend it. Uh, Chris wrote a review for this up on the site, and he gave it a ten out of ten. I wasn't ten out of ten. It wasn't a ten out of ten for me, but it was like a solid eight. I think it is one of Sono's best best works. Just don't go into it expecting the same level of insanity that his other movies have. This is a. Yeah. It's the very you know traditional. It still has that same energy. And it's still a little wild, but it's not, you know, Suicide Circle or anything. Uh, so, yeah, uh, whenever that comes out, I can I definitely recommend uh, seeing that. I saw The Deeper You Dig. This is directed by Toby Poser and John Adams. This is one that I think you should keep a lookout for. Uh, this is another indie horror movie. It's um, sort of a mystery thriller. So it involves a a woman who... She's like a local psychic and her daughter goes missing and she quickly realizes that her daughter is not just missing, she's dead. So the movie involves uh, the mother trying to find who killed her daughter and trying to find her daughter's body. Uh, Meanwhile, you discover that it was the neighbor who ended up killing the daughter by accident. He was driving drunk. She was out sledding at night and he hit her with his car and he tried to hide the body. Well, what happens is the daughter, her spirit possesses the guy who killed her. And he starts because they're neighbors. He starts kind of coming around and she's like sort of fighting inside of him to take over so as the neighbor continues to have interactions with uh, the mom, uh, he starts like doing small things that, that sort of indicate that, that he is possessed. And the mom like picks up on these like kind of subtle things. And then she, she eventually realizes like, okay, my daughter's in there. And it's really, I mean, this is a super low budget movie, but man, they did some really excellent camera tricks in this to make it look really cool um, I was really really impressed with this movie uh, and I highly recommend you check it out it's called The Deeper You Dig, it played a bunch of festivals and I just for whatever reason didn't get around to it and then finally uh, Arrow did pick it up and, and released it so definitely recommend The Deeper You Dig alright let's 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 talk about some VOD stuff shall we on the uh, 16th we have Death Trip coming out. Looks like a horror movie. Looks very stylish from the... Uh, taking a look at the the poster here. Looks like maybe one of these kind of throwback style movies. Okay. Also on the 16th we have Random Acts of Violence. This is a horror comedy. I believe this is on Shudder and if not, it's going to be on Shudder very soon. This is... uh. I believe directed by Jay Baruchel. Yes, you are correct. Uh, We also have supernova. This is with uh, Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. We have myth of a colorblind France. This is a documentary uh, about uh, black artists such as Josephine Baker, James Baldwin, Augusta Savage, Richard Wright, traveling to Paris to liberate themselves from the racism of the United States. And we have Mafia Inc. coming out on the 19th. This is a virtual theatrical release. The uh, Canadian Canadian Mafia. Nah. Or or I, I don't know if it's Canadian Mafia, but Mafia in Canada. Okay. okay. Yeah, the Mafia in Canada. <laughs> Not specifically the Canadian Mafia, although kind of I, that's, I like that that idea. sounds more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see. We have Twilight's Kiss coming out. Uh, Silk Road is coming out. This is the one with Jason Clark, Nick Robinson. This is about the, you know, the Silk Road website on the dark web. Oh, the oh, a dark web. Yeah, it's my. Uh, it's like a biopic. Jason Clark going on the dark web. He is so mumbly in this movie. At times, you can't even understand what the fuck he's saying. He mumbles so much in this movie. His character is so awful. But then again, the movie is too. Which is disappointing because this is directed by Tiller Russell, the guy who recently did that Night Stalker series on Netflix, which was quite good. Hmm. But to be clear, just to reiterate, this is not a documentary whatsoever. In fact, there is a documentary about the Silk Road that came out just a couple years ago that's actually a lot better than this. So check that Mm. out instead. Uh, We also have Sin coming out. Uh, It's a fascinating portrait of an artist fighting to survive. Mm -hmm. It's about Michelangelo. Oh. Actually. Okay. Sure. Days of Bagnold Summer. Uh, body Brokers. The Violent Heart. The Boarding School. Los Cumbres. That's going to be on Amazon Prime. And that's about it for VOD. Let's take a look at what we have on Blu-ray. We have Baby Doll from 1956. San Francisco from 1936. The War from 1994, starring Elijah Wood and Kevin Costner. I love that movie. Love The War. Uh, the Net and The Net 2.0. Double pack. Ooh, oh. Get the original and the upgrade. I, I never... I didn't know anything about The Net 2.0, but... The Net 2.0. No money, no identity, no way out. Mm, that's a difficult situation to be in. Mm-hmm. The Cowboy Way from 1994, starring Kiefer Sutherland and Woody Harrelson, That's a 90s classic right there. Got the Swordsman from last year. The Kid Stays in the Picture from 2002. It's a really great documentary. Uh, Man with a Movie Camera from 1929, and Kino's putting that out. Random Acts of Violence. That's the Jay Baruchel one that we just mentioned. Uh, Breach from 2007. <laughs> Arch Enemy from last year. That's a bad one. The Informer from last year. The Unseen from 1980. Sithis. Slithis. Slithis. Hell hath no fury like Slithis. Slithus. <laughs> yeah. That's from 1978. Uh, a, a Call to Spy from 2019. Let's see. Bunch of anime, anime, anime. Lots of anime as usual. The very excellent Mr. Dundee, which was a uh, kind of a Crocodile Dundee sort of thing. Uh let's see. Horizon Line. We got Breaking Surface. Death mm-hmm. Trip. Thomasina Sawyer. Or rather the, the, the adventures of Thomasina Sawyer. That's a that's a Tom Sawyer story, but guess what? Gender swap, what? Wait, oh, that's
1: progressive.
0: Yeah, it's a see, it's a Thomasina. So Tom, mm-hmm. see, so it's a it's a woman who's playing the Tom Sawyer role. Incredible, such creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they did with the name there. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking yep. genius. Bunch of geniuses over here. vehicle <laughs> from this year uh, Bobby Joe Under the Influence The Blackout Monstrous Disunion uh, that's about it what do we have on Criterion
1: uh, we have one and it's Amanda B from 1968 from the Senegalese director Osmin Simbine so anytime uh, Criterion puts out African film I feel like that's, that's a great move I'd like to see a lot more African films on there. This is actually the first movie ever made in the Wolof language.
0: Hmm. Wow. Cool. Alright. Definitely check that out. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a moment, consider reviewing us on iTunes. We'd appreciate that very much. For Kevin draw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.